CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Good morning. It is Monday, September 28th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined, of course, by Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports as we recap what was an awesome weekend and try to spin it forward ahead of week five and, and the rest of the year. Chris, um, we're going to start down in Baton Rouge, but before we get there, like I just want to acknowledge that there were 10 to 20 different storylines that bear mentioning, and it's probably impossible that we get to all of them, but I think we can both admit that it was just an awesome day of football. Yeah, I think we've we've talked in the past about like how it just quite hasn't quite felt like college football's back, and it was totally back yesterday. There were wild games and all the time slots. There were crazy storylines, including our defending national champions losing to Mike Leach in his first game in the SEC. And it was just, it was a really interesting day all around. I think it taught us a lot about the season. I think it taught us a lot about how maybe with a few exceptions, the season's going to see some really big upsets as we go along. Um, teams maybe aren't as prepared as they normally would be. COVID concerns kind of mess with everybody. And uh, it's just going to be a wild, wild year, I think. Yeah, it, there was sensory overload, which is a defining thing about college football Saturdays in which you could be watching even two to three games at once if you got the screens out, but you're still going to miss something. So that was important. And then I also noticed that the uh, the piping in of noise at stadiums seemed to be much better than it had been in the last few weeks. Things felt less dead and less sleepy. Um, and maybe the SEC had a lot to do with it. I mean, it was it was loud. Uh, the Tennessee-South Carolina William, game was yeah, loud. Williams, Williams Bryce. Bryce was – I could feel it. It was real yeah. loud coming out of the TV. That so was, I, think, I think that helped because the last few weeks in college football and in the NFL, it had just been so sleepy. So it, it was a great – it was a great weekend. We learned a lot, I think. We were probably going to overreact to several things, such as the fact that, like, LSU's just not very good. Miles Brennan is not only not Joe Burrow, he's probably a bottom half SEC quarterback at this point. And meanwhile, Mike Leach is going to probably make this air raid thing a whole lot easier than we thought he would at Mississippi State in year one because KJ Costello threw for 623 yards, um, and which is an SEC single single game record. So he didn't. He didn't. By the way, he didn't just like break the SEC record. He broke it by almost a hundred yards. Like it was. He dunked on that record, which was set in like 1997 by a Georgia quarterback. So it wasn't even particularly close with him getting that record. He shattered it. And we, we got to mention that Derek Singley was out as LSU loses 44 to 34. But no one in their right mind thinks he would have changed the game all that much. Like Costello still threw it for like over six, like I don't, what 60 attempts? I don't have the stats on me, but like those are are like Stingley can't can't really fix everything there. It was just, it was just a thrashing. And like, I don't know if the most interesting thing is that side of the ball for LSU where Bo Pliny's new defense did not hold up. Or it was the other side of the ball where, you know, Barton Simmons made a great point on the cover three podcast on CBS. I was listening to like LSU designed this offense for Joe Burrow. And then Joe Burrow left. And now they have 
parts that don't fit. Like they have parts that would fit better in an old school LSU less miles offense with you know three running backs who could be battering Rams and a, a quarterback who really might just be a, a game manager who's capable of you know stretching out some play action play action act uh, bootlegs and and doing that. But Miles Brennan doesn't look like he he can run the Joe Brady who's of course is gone as well. He doesn't look like he can run the Joe Brady Joe Burrow offense that we saw last year. Yeah, and I think one of the things that made that offense last year so good is how quick and how decisive Joe Burrow was uh, with his diagnosis of coverage. Um, He was able to attack a defense almost instantly because he knew before every snap where he was going to go. And, I mean, that's certainly made easier when you have five NFL targets and 11 personnel at all times. Uh, Miles Brennan lacked that last night, although he's still got some really good pieces on the outside with a guy like Terrence Marshall or Eric Gilbert Gilbert kind of at tight end. But I think if you just watched, you saw um, Miles Brennan not process that quickly. Part of that's kind of the defense's Mississippi State threw at him, and part of that's being his first game kind of in the SEC as a starter. But like you just the internal clock in his head was not working in the way it did last year for Joe Burrow. He did not get the ball out as quickly. He wasn't as decisive with his throws. And frankly, there were times when he just kind of looked like a baby giraffe out there, like just kind of spinning around in the pocket, like not sure where to go. And like he's an okay quarterback. I think he's gonna end up being fine. Um his numbers yesterday, if you kind of take away two interceptions, weren't that bad. But we all eh, knew I mean, I'm gonna hold you up on that. Like that's, they were like he that's threw for a fine yards. stat. Yeah, three hundred forty-five yards is like that's fine. His QBR was thirty-two. Yeah, it's because of the two interceptions. He also had a completion percentage. I think around like fifty-four percent. Not great, but and his one touchdown to Eric Gilbert. That one of those, he just <laughs> threw it up into the end zone. <laughs> that was. I can't wait for Eric Gilbert to have a twenty-year NFL career, and his first major highlight is him like literally having to smack into two other people yeah. to catch the touchdown pass. So uh, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't great, but like. I, I think the I think the idea is, as you said, Miles Brennan just isn't at the level Joe Burrow was. Nobody was going to be, but he's not even close. And in order for LSU to thrive with this system, Miles Brennan has to be much better. And I'm just not sure if he's going to be able to get there. I don't know if a quarterback change would be in the cards this season either because they only have two um, true freshmen behind Miles Brennan. Neither of those guys, Max Johnson or TJ Finley, was very highly regarded coming out of high school. Which makes you really kind of concerned about the long-term quarterback situation for Ed Orgeron at yeah, LSU. Both, and it, wh- both of those guys, by the way, had completed less than 50% of their passes as juniors in high school. So that shows you the type of quarterbacks that LSU has in that room. They both got better seniors, yeah. but like they weren't killing it as high school players either. They really weren't. And before we move on, I, w- I do want to ask you, were there any rumors or whispers of LSU trying to go to the grad transfer quarterback market this offseason. I've, I've talked to Shay Dixon about that. You know, he there were feelers put out there to various guys, but the coaching staff really did feel confident about Miles Brennan. And again, it's one game. Maybe he turns things around. But I was imagining this LSU team, man, if you put De'Eric King there, like they're like they win that game. Um JT Daniels not cleared yet. We don't know if Jamie Newman <laughs> would he have not opted out if he liked his chances in Baton Rouge more, but there's a KJ Costello. There were some transfer options that an LSU just, just rode with what they had. Yeah. There was definitely some communication between Derek King and LSU. Like I, I can report that for sure. I do not know who backed off of who ultimately uh, when Derek went to Miami, but after Derek, I think LSU was pretty set with miles Brennan the entire off season. And they were pretty confident he would perform well in the system, but it is, it's certainly when you see what Derek is doing at Miami right now, 
you just have to wonder um, how good LSU's offense could have been had De'Aaron King been, King been under center for the Tigers. Like, and he I get it. it up. It's a tightrope because you don't want to be the coach who becomes a quarterback transfer you and have no chance of recruiting high school talent. Well, I think Lincoln Riley's shown a perfect blueprint for that. You take the transfer when you need the transfer, and uh, when you finally get your guy, and for him, that was Spencer Rattler, and I'm sure we'll get to Spencer Rattler in a little bit. I want to segue to there right now. Yeah, but then you're good. But yeah, uh, I think if you can balance both, you should do it, and LSU is a program that should be capable of doing it, giving it stature in college football. Yeah, so Spencer Rattler, and I I feel bad that we're going to talk more about Oklahoma than Kansas State because K-State beat OU 38-35, just like we talked more about LSU than Mississippi State. Um, This was, in some ways, you you say, "Ah, I should have seen this coming because Oklahoma does this. They will will do this every now and again, right? They'll have a huge lead and it just looks terrible. They'll just have a sleepy day. Doesn't matter if it's in Norman or on the road, a sleepy September day before they really get things clicking in mid-October against Texas. But the problem with this year is that this, I mean, this loss might 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 knock them out of the of the playoff race. It's and you're gonna, you know, Chris, you're gonna say no. You know, we have a long season to go, and I agree with you. But like the Big Twelve is in really dire straits here, and if it wasn't for Texas, you know, salvaging a fifteen point deficit with three minutes left against Texas Tech the Big 12 might be cooked but OU you know Spencer Rattler three interceptions they just couldn't stop Kansas State when it counted this OU defense might be 2018 bad and this this spells a really troubling um, sign of what's to come this year in Norman potentially yeah it's in some ways it's it's like it was shocking yesterday to see that lead collapse the way it did. And like for context, Kansas State was missing seven starters due to COVID-19 contact tracing and concerns. So that was not a full straight Kansas State team that upset Oklahoma for the second season in a row. That was kind of uh, a secondary that was put piecemeal together. And then Oklahoma's receivers weren't really getting separation from Kansas State secondary like you would normally see. So that's a major point of concern either way. Like Spencer Rattler was having to make things happen in the happen in the pocket and kind of outside of structure because his receivers weren't getting enough separation, which is very odd when you consider the way Oklahoma's recruited over the last few years. But ultimately I think this once again for Oklahoma comes down to the defense. Um, Alex Grinch was brought in to kind of fix some deficiencies. We thought given Oklahoma's talent and they've recruited well, uh, multiple top 10 classes in a row, they're a little smaller defensively than some teams, but they're fast. Um, they're feisty. Like you expected these guys to kind of overcome that in a system built on speed. But despite the strides that we saw Oklahoma take a year ago on defense, like this was kind of a flashback to 2018 in a lot of ways. Oklahoma couldn't get any pressure. There was almost no pressure generated except for a guy like Nick Bonito, who played pretty well overall. The secondary was in pieces all day, except for maybe Delarian Turner Yell, who held up pretty well on the outside. Everybody else struggled all day. And when you're not getting pressure up front and when your secondary is getting picked apart by Skylar Thompson, who's at best the middle of the road, big 12 quarterback, uh, I don't mean to dunk on Kansas state after an excellent victory, but like, that's the truth. You're just in trouble. Like the rest of the year, there are better offenses in the big 12. And when you consider everything Oklahoma had wrong going into the season, which was their two best edge defenders kind of opting out or being suspended. So that's, Ronnie Perkins and who is suspended and Jalen Redmond who opted out 
you have Caleb Kelly, a starting uh, middle linebacker who had a season ending injury in fall camp. And then you have a secondary that's been in shambles for years and you put it all together and it's a problem. And that just reared its ugly head yesterday. And I don't think it's going away for Oklahoma this year. I still think Oklahoma is going to figure out a way to win seven or eight games. The team's too talented not to. But this is just an example of what happens when a team has a down year and they don't have the pieces in place to kind of fix it. Yeah, next up for OU is Iowa State, which got a much-needed win against TCU. Real quick before we move on, um, your true freshman of the week will be Deuce Vaughn, the K-State running back. Uh, Eight carries, 45 yards, and a touchdown, and then four receptions, 129 yards. He he earned that honor. Um, We're going to stay in the Big 12. Texas... Texas almost blew it for the entire conference in Lubbock. Uh, had a 10-point halftime lead. Just imploded. This defense doesn't look up to the task. Um, we're taking, talking about OU and, and how this is trouble. And the, the scoreboard says Texas won, and, and I think Texas fans feel really great about that um, because it was a loss, essentially, Chris. It was a 15-point deficit with three minutes left, and you know, Texas scores, onside kick, scores again, two-point conversion, wins in overtime, and Sam Ellinger, you know, kind of had an iconic moment um, in that fourth quarter. But this is this is a concerning 63-56 to 56 win. Oh, no question. Texas has allowed 56 points or more eight times in history. Like 119 years, this is the eighth most points Texas has ever allowed in a single game. And for context, Texas Tech did not score in overtime. All 56 of those came in regulation. So as good as you feel leaving Lubbock with that victory, and I'm sure there's just a major sense of relief for everybody in that program and those who follow it, like the defense is a significant point of concern, just like we saw and talked about with Oklahoma. The secondary is in shambles. It's really hard to explain, honestly, given the amount of talent that's in that group. There are multiple f- former five stars, a lot of high, highly ranked four-star recruits, just isn't working i think we all thought chris ash's system would help the defensive line a little bit and it has texas is generating more pressure than it has in recent years but linebacker has been and is a major depth problem for texas and when you pair that with the secondary you have guys like alan bowman throw for 325 yards and five touchdowns so i just i think it could be a really young year for texas defensively and in the big 12 that's going to get you beat at least once or twice if things don't get better yeah, up next for Texas will be TCU. Okay, we're going to bounce back to the SEC. Georgia won 37-10 against Arkansas. That wasn't pretty, though. It was Arkansas 7, Georgia 5 at halftime. Georgia had to bench Dewan Mathis. He was 8 for 17 for 55 yards and a touchdown. His inability to do anything in the air or through the air just like killed Georgia's rushing potential, uh, They and they had to go with Stetson Bennett. The former walk-on quarterback who actually graded out like as PFF College's best player on the Georgia offense uh, Saturday. He was twenty for twenty-nine, uh, twenty uh, with two hundred eleven yards and two touchdowns. So the problem for Georgia there is uh, a lot. We've they've, <laughs> they've got another quarterback dilemma on their hands headed into the, an, a game against Auburn, but they probably did not think it would be against. Uh, a very raw Dewan Mathis and a former walk-on named Stetson Bennett. They are, they are f- crossing their fingers like crazy that JT Daniels is going to get cleared this week. Yeah, and I, I mean JT might be cleared, but from what I understand, JT hasn't really looked like himself most of the offseason. So, if JT's healthy and ready to go, I think he's a huge upgrade over Stetson Bennett. But I'm just not sure if that JT 
is available this season or at least earlier this season. So that's a problem. But George is just hilarious because, like, just think about their depth chart from June. You had Jamie Newman as your one. Uh, you opted out. You had G- uh, JT Daniels as your number two, former five-star who is not yet cleared. You had Dewan Mathis as your three. Um, former four-star recruit, a guy that George has hyped pretty heavily this offseason. You potentially had Carson Beck, a four-star recruit in the 2020 class, as your four, but he got beat out by Stetson Bennett, a former walk-on, who was either your fourth or fifth player on the depth chart, if you think about it. And Stetson Bennett, that fourth-string quarterback, the former walk-on, is the guy who had to save George's season against Arkansas, a team picked uh, at best 13th out of 14 teams in the SEC. And and pe- people are gonna be like, oh no, Chris, like that's hyperbole. He didn't save their season. It was still seven to five midway through the th- third quarter when Seth went through a touchdown pass. They looked awful. Like Georgia's Arkansas is not that good. Arkansas and Georgia bad. could not move the ball against Arkansas. Like, I feel really good right now this morning about my pick for Florida to win the SEC East. Same. I feel I, great about it. And I, you know, p- let's talk about them because I, I was on the Florida bandwagon all off season. I got switched off when I. At one point, like was so in my head about how good Georgia's defense was going to be, and they're they're going to be great, maybe the best in the country. But the <laughs> watching Florida against Ole Miss and then watching Georgia against Arkansas seemed like two different teams. And if they played each other tomorrow, Florida would Florida would win because Georgia just doesn't have anything at quarterback figured out. Meanwhile, or uh, Georgia doesn't have anything at quarterback. Meanwhile, Florida's got Kyle Pitts catching four touchdowns, Kyle Trask throwing for uh, I believe five, and it's. Six. 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 So the Kyles are just like, you know, Kyles for Heisman. The defense has something to improve, I think. Um, You know, they kind of almost scored 14 in the fourth quarter on them. And I like the Florida running attack to be a little bit better. But, man, Florida looks awesome. This is is the Dan Mullen. This is Dan Mullen fully realized in Gainesville. Yeah, and this is this is the most talented roster Dan Mullen's ever had. Like we all think about what was that that 2014 Mississippi State team yeah, with Dak Prescott that ranked number one in the initial college football playoff rankings. But this Florida team is way way more talented than anything Dan Mullen ever had at Mississippi State. And I, I think Kyle Trask deserves a lot of praise, and he's an awesome story. I wrote an in depth piece on him last week, and he looks like right now, at least yesterday, he looks like a first round pick. Like he's got the arm and. He looked like a traditional pro-style passer in the NFL. He was slicing apart Ole Miss, which I think is going to have defensive issues all year. But Kyle Pitts, man, like he might be the biggest matchup issue in the SEC now that uh, Jamar Chase has opted out. He's just a monster. Like you can't cover him with a cornerback. He's six foot six. He's way too fast and way too physical uh, to be covered by a linebacker. Um, there's just really nothing you can do. And Florida moves him around the formation a ton yesterday. And we all had concerns about Florida's kind of wide receiver receiver group after they lost so much production from last year but with kyle pitts playing like that like florida's gonna get an ideal matchup for kyle trask on every almost every throw so he is just such a matchup nightmare for opponents and i think florida's offense is going to be really good all year uh with those two connecting the way they were on saturday you mentioned that pitts you said this in slack remind you of evan ingram and barton was like that's an interesting comparison so they've got him as a mismatch they've got Kadarius tony who's been around for forever uh he was catching passes uh, for yeah. a touchdown. He, he's running the ball, too. They've got Emory Jones, their change of pace, uh, backup quarterback. You know, he wasn't great through the air. He threw a pick on Saturday against Ole Miss, but he can run the ball. So so this is going to be a really fun offense, uh, and I, I would feel really good if I woke up and, and was a Florida fan today, and I feel great that I, I picked him to win the East. 
The College Football Daily will be right back. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You're ready, Bob. Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Let's stay in the state of Florida. I don't want to go too SEC through the middle of this podcast. We'll, we'll get back to it, though. Well, we got some other, other results to talk about. Miami, 52. Florida State, 10. I don't know what else there is to say about Florida State that's not piling on at this point. Because Mike Norvell wasn't even allowed to be on the field because he, he had COVID-19 this week. But... I, but, I think the uh, score says plenty. So this is this is so bad. It's going to take a lot of intestinal fortitude for the Florida State Seminoles to get through this season. Oh, no doubt. Um, that's the worst loss in this series since 1976 for uh, Florida State. So that kind of speaks to how far this team has fallen. Uh, by the way, that was Bobby Bowden's first team. Yeah, they lost 47 to nothing. To, Which is uh, you know it gives you a glimmer of hope. Yeah, like I mean. I, but, I really want to yeah. caution people that Florida State was a mess coming in. It was a mess late in Jimbo Fisher's tenure. It was a mess during Willie Taggart's tenure, and he wasn't giving a lot of time to figure it out. And it's a mess now when Mike Norvell inherited it during an offseason in which he barely got to see his players, and there was so much other stuff going on yeah. that it's really hard to build a culture. So while it looks terrible, and Florida State's going to win maybe three or four games this season at most, like you just you kind of have to give Mike Norvell some time and have some intestinal fortitude to let him figure it out. I have no idea if he will. I really thought pretty highly of Mike Norvell before he came into uh, Tallahassee, but you just you got to give the dude some time. It's going to be really bad for a little bit, but like they they didn't give teams Will- are not rebuilding today. They did not give Willie Taggart much time. Mike Norvell had two near mutinies this offseason. Um, he probably doesn't have much of a leash right now with the fan base. He'll get one. Because this is essentially year zero. He's got to find a quarterback. And they are hoping that hoping that Chubba Purdy, the younger brother of Iowa State quarterback Brock Purdy, one of their two true freshmen in this class, emerges as that guy. Unfortunately, he got hurt during fall camp because apparently like they 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 were doing live bullets um with with the defense hitting the quarterback. So that's you know, that's just bad. And before before we move on, I really want to say, like, and I have no idea if this is gonna get fixed because the team I'm about to compare Florida State to is not yet fixed. Florida State really reminds me of Texas from the early kind of 2010s. Uh, you had a national championship winning coach in Mac Brown who kind of saw things fall off late in his tenure, uh, partly due to kind of lazier recruiting and kind of being satisfied with your at worth where you're at. You brought in Charlie Strong, who turned out to be a mistake hire for the program. He was let go pretty quickly. And then you hired Tom Herman to fix everything. And he really struggled in year one. Uh, the jury's kind of out on Tom Herman still, but Florida State's in a very similar position with how you saw Jimbo Fisher uh, kind of end his tenure there, the Willie Taggart hire, now Mike Norvell. Like it scripted really in a really similar fashion. And I'm, I'm curious to see how Texas pulls out of it, just like I'm curious to see how Florida State kind of pulls out of it over the next couple of years. Yeah. And then, you know, Miami, not much to say more about them that hasn't been said yet. I just, two they, touchdowns, and they're going to play Clemson in two weeks, which will be a really big game. What do you got? Yeah. Go, go quick. I want to I rip through the rest of these games. 
I just think Miami's good, and I'm very excited for the Clemson game. That's all I wanted all to right. say. I, yeah. I think it's surprising. All right, good deal. Um, I'm just looking. I got my iPad out, just scrolling the scrolling the results. Um, which you know, people would be like, "You don't have notes," and I I, I don't do that. Uh, Alabama won 38 to 19 against Missouri. You know, Missouri got a lot of garbage time points. Najee Harris had, uh, I believe, three touchdowns. Um, that's that's a good game for Alabama. They uh, their defense was flying around in the parts that I watched. Mac Jones was capable and competent, and Jalen Waddle had uh, had two touchdowns and 134 yards. Mac Jones was the highest graded quarterback of the weekend uh, by PFF College. Really, he, he looked yeah he looked quite good. Yeah, he was like a 92 grade. Yeah, and a 95 in QBR. Tennessee, South Carolina. South Carolina lost a chance to, to tie the game, or sorry, to, to go win the game because they muffed a punt, which was, we sh- I, I should do an episode this week on special teams. I should get like a special teams coach and talk to me about how it's been so hard to do it. Um, I on- otherwise thought this was a pretty decent debut for Mike Bobo and new quarterback Colin Hill was, you know, serviceable. Tennessee is going to be pretty good this year, I, I think. They're going to run the ball at will behind that offensive line. Jared Grantano, 19 for 31, 259, a touchdown. Like that's that's pretty much all he has to do for them to be to to to, to have a chance in the SEC East. But you know, South Carolina fans are really upset about this loss because of the, the way it happened and that it was at home, but and that they didn't cover. You know, it was a three point spread. Tennessee wins by four, but I don't think it was like a horrible embarrassment. No, I was I thought Mike Bobo's offense looked much better than I thought it would uh this offseason. I think there were some promising things that you could really take away from that game, even though as South Carolina fans understand it is a missed opportunity against a very winnable game at home against a ranked team. Like South Carolina was in that the whole time. And if you think about kind of a field goal decision that Will Muschamp made late in the game, like you can make an argument South Carolina lost the game because of special teams. I'm going to mention that Virginia Tech beat NC State 45 to 24 in their in their opener, um, despite like 20 20 players out uh, with co- contact tracing. Um, I did not watch that though. Last one, and then we'll wrap up. I th- I think the uh, biggest loser of anyone who won. <clears throat> Uh, Texas A&M 17, Vanderbilt 12. This was this was uh, really ugly. And, and A&M plays Alabama next week. And so for that, I had some questions about why Jimbo Fisher was not getting his young talent into the game, namely five-star receiver DeMond Demas, who got so much buzz in fall camp. Chris, you wrote about him this week as someone you were excited to see. And, and Jimbo just said he didn't want to go there in a close game. Um, which, you know, it's like a, a very like 2002 mindset. Kellen Mond was horrible. Uh, a, Q, a QBR of 32 and a PFF grade below 50, I believe. He was the worst Aggie on that offense. Uh, 189 yards, one touchdown performance. Pleased to see Vanderbilt playing well, but this was this should not have been a 17-12 to 12 game. A&M was a 31-point favorite. Yeah, I just... I think AM had such high expectations coming in this year, and this game does not speak well to AM's chances. I think if they play anything close to this against Alabama next week, they're going to get rocked. And Jimbo Fisher, kind of on the Demond Demas point, has long, long been a really conservative coach in terms of the way he uh, kind of runs an offense. And I think that's just another example. I think in order for AM to be successful this year, you really have to take the governor off of Kellen Mond a little bit. Like, the offense last night was super conservative, uh, kind of asking Kellen to go through reads like a traditional pocket passer would, like he has the last couple of years. And that's just not who Kellen Mond is. Like, in order for AM to be as good as it's going to be, 
Like you got to let Kellen Mond kind of be Kellen Mond and he's going to make some mistakes. Let, let Kellen Mond be Kellen Mond. No, I mean, I mean, serious. <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta let him run. Like yeah. you can't like ask Kellen to go through one, two, three progressions and then take off if something's not there. Like that's not who Kellen Mond is, man. Like that guy's an athlete on the outside and he's made major strides as a passer, but like, if you look at just kind of the statistics from yesterday and how the game played out, there were a lot of really conservative passes. They were all short. They didn't stretch the field because they don't have any receivers like Demon Demas who can stretch the field. Look, look, here's the thing. They play a, uh, Alabama next and then Florida and then Mississippi State. If if they if that doesn't go well, and I'm not sure it will. I believe they will probably be in quarterback changing territory. Um, with two young guys, Zach Calzada, Haynes King. Haynes King is a true freshman. The AM board uh, on 24-7 Sports was was kind of ready for that last night. And I know people like to react. But that you could see Jimbo Fisher do that um, with, with games against Arkansas and South Carolina following as a chance to get a young guy ready because that would then be it, it would be a disappointing year. It would be you know, Jimbo Fisher already, he's not on the hot seat at all. His buyout's massive, and he, I think he's going to eventually be good, and he's recruiting well, but like fans aren't happy with him. He might use his get-out-of-jail-free card, uh, throw a young quarterback in, and start building toward next year by mid-October. That's just oh. that's my little take. What's his buyout right now? $60 million. Uh, I mean, it's just like each, left. it's each year minus 10. So, yeah. It's No, it's each year minus 7.5. Oh, yeah, right, so 60, right. $60 million. But, yeah. It's not going like, to happen during a pandemic no. when, when of course uh, oil hit a hit a slump this summer. Um, Aggie land oil. So, yeah. There's a... There's some upset fan bases out there right now in college football. And way, and, way more upset fan bases than there are happy fan bases right yes. now, for sure. Uh, I saw on the boards, Oklahoma was kind of getting sick of Lincoln Riley. <laughs> and uh, as someone who shares a conference with Lincoln Riley, like if that's the decision they want to make, go ahead, guys. <laughs> like, go ahead. I think I a lot think of people of, in the Big I, 12 would welcome that. What are we at? 127 FBS schools that would sign Lincoln Riley in half a second if they could? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. other than Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, like That's, everybody yeah. else, yeah, everyone else, everyone else. All right, well, this is a good stuff. Um, look, things to look forward to this week. I need to figure out what's going on in George's quarterback room. I need to figure out what's going on at Florida State. I need to figure out why special teams has been atrocious. So, yeah, I mean, if you have any ideas, uh, listeners out there, like like let me know um, in, the, in the Apple Podcast review section. And uh, I, yeah, I might get some love to Mike Leach too because I, I think I think my takeaway from our takeaways is that Mississippi State might be really good and we're not talking about it enough. So um, we'll see. We'll figure it all out this week on the College Football Daily. Thank you to Chris Hummer for joining me. Uh, thanks to our producer Tony Levitt for putting this thing together. Talk to y'all on Tuesday. to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.